Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you again. Um, second week in a row. It's a first for me. Hopefully I didn't bore you last week, and hopefully you still want to engage with me this week. For those who don't know me, um, my name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Point Community Church, and I just want to welcome you all to this morning. And I am thankful that you've decided to worship with us this morning. Um, if you haven't been here, uh, our, our church is in the middle of a series called Reset, and uh, today we are in a message called Walking in Love as we study Ephesians 4, verses 25 through Ephesians 5, 5. For those who don't know me really well, uh, I recently had a birthday in August and turned 25 years old. Quarter of a century, I thought, already. Wow, I'm old. And Amber and I, we started going to financial advisory meetings. They talked about getting life insurance at 25 years old. And I was like, man, I'm thinking about when I die. It led me to think about what I want my, my eulogy to say at my own funeral. And so I wrote something down. And so, so this is a, a snippet, a preview of what I think my, my eulogy w- would say. Kent Heinrichson survived by his wife, Amber Heinrichson, because we already agreed that I would go first. He was known for doing these things. He never cheated on his wife. He didn't curse at people. Never got drunk. Kent never held any grudges. He wasn't a murderer or someone who slandered a lot. He didn't steal. Overall, Kent wasn't really a terrible person. And my ending would be, put me in the ground already, I'm ready to go. Now, this is supposed to be jokingly, like, I hope that doesn't get read at my funeral. Like, that is a terrible eulogy. I hope you understand and get that. Because on on a more serious note, I hope that I am not remembered for the things that I don't do or things that I haven't done, but rather for the things that I did do, like loving my wife and my family well, putting things, putting Christ first, serving others in such a way that brings glory to God and not myself. What about you? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? Do you want to be remembered by? And it doesn't even have to be like when you die. It can be what kind of uh, remembrance do you want someone to uh, have of you when you meet them for the first time? Or what about a friend that you've known for a while and they move away? How do they want, how do you want them to remember you by? It doesn't just have to happen when we die and we want people to remember us. It's how do you want people to remember you by your interactions with them? Hopefully, Hopefully, you would want to be remembered by what you did instead of what you didn't do. In our passage today, Paul writes to Christians, to believers in Ephesus, about putting away things and replacing them with with things that are worth following, things that glorify Jesus. He talks about how Christians shouldn't be just described by what they don't do, but rather by what they do and following after God. So with this in mind, please have your Bibles open and meet me in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. I'll be reading from the CSB translation. Verse 25. Therefore, now if you were here last week, we stopped again, like we're going to do this week. I mean, I was about to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And if you were here last week, uh, you remember hopefully talking about growing in spiritual maturity. Hopefully you remember about the, a chart that I throw up on the screen about um, the more we mature and grow in Christ, the more we realize our sinfulness and the more we realize God's holiness. We talked about having metaphorical old sinful clothes that we take off and put away and we put on our new clothes that are uh, tied with our identity in who Jesus is. These are some things that we talked about. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. You get a little bit more of a context of what we're going to talk about today. But So that's what we talked about. Paul says, therefore, and then he lists these things in verse 24. Verse 24, or verse 25, rather. Therefore, put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor. Because we are members of one another. Be angry. Do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't, don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now, I want to pause here and kind of just digest what we read. So I'm going to show this chart again from last week. If you um, were here and if you weren't here, this is what it looked like. Uh, If you could throw the next slide chart up. Okay. If you remember, we talked about things below the line, awareness of sinfulness, that is stuff in the dark. We don't know that yet. Things that are above the line of awareness of God's holiness, that stuff in the dark we don't know yet, but until we become converted, until we accept Jesus as our Savior, we start seeing things more and more. It grows and grows the more we mature, the more we see our need for the cross, need for grace, the more we see our sinfulness, and the more we are aware of God's holiness. There's two truths that we didn't talk about last week that show up and this passage that we can see in this chart. The first one is this. The more we grow aware of our sinfulness, the more we should be turning away from our sin. The more we should be finding our sin to be disgusting. The more we should be finding uh, our sin to be painful. That we're grieving God when we sin against Him. And because we see that the more we should be repenting and turning from it and putting it away. Seeing it as sin, repenting, turn away, and going towards God. That is one truth that we see here that we really didn't get into a whole lot last week. The second truth 
that we're going to discuss is the more we grow aware of God's holiness as we mature, the more we see God's love for us. The more we see God's love for us, the more we are prone to show God's love to others. It's an outpouring of God's love for us when we show love to others. Now this passage that we just read gives a visual, practical ways that we can live out our new identity in Christ. In this passage, we see Paul listing uh, things that believers need to put away or repent and things that we need to do to turn toward God. Now, I see two main categories in this passage, and I want you to see these categories that um, we just read a moment ago. The first category that Paul tells believers to put away is the sin of lying. Now, when we think of lying, we usually think of a, of a situation where someone got in trouble. For example, let's say we have little Timmy pushing down Johnny at recess. Johnny goes and runs to his teacher and said, teacher, teacher, Timmy pushed me down. And Timmy said, no, I didn't. You just tripped over your own two feet. Timmy told a lie. We see that. That is an example that we can all fundamentally, fundamentally, hopefully, understand that that is a lie. But there's also another word here that we see that's used for lying, and it's living a, in, in falsehood or living a false life. This could be seen as someone who comes to church or whenever they're around people, they have to act as if they have it all together. This aspect, this idea of being two-faced in one way, when you're around others, you have everything together, but when you're at home, it's completely a wreck. You're presenting yourself in a false way to those around you. In a way, in a sense, you are lying to those that you interact with when you say that everything is okay and I don't need any help, but in reality, you are a wreck and you need help. It's this putting this outer facade, living in falsehood. So what does Paul say to do instead of, of lying and living a lie? He says, speak the truth. He says, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor. Why? Because we are members of one another. So, this means that if we're in trouble, if we did something, we need to take responsibility for our actions instead of lying. Or if our life is a wreck, we need to reach out to our community to help us. Because church is supposed to be a community. It is part of our church name, Crosspoint Community Church. We're supposed to be doing life with one another. That means when we wrong people, we need to ask them for forgiveness. They need to forgive us and show us grace. When, we, when life gets hard, instead of worrying about our own reputation, we need to humble ourselves and reach out, no matter what anybody thinks, whether it's a friend, a pastor, church leader, relative, father, mother, like reach out. 
Another aspect of lying that we see in this passage and that falls into this category that we read here is stealing. In verse 28, it says, let the thief no longer steal. How is stealing an aspect of lying? I hope you see when you steal something, you are lying that you own that, that that is yours. When in fact, no transaction has happened to pass it on from the former owner to you. For example, if I steal a candy bar from a store, I take it out and I claim it as my own. I did nothing to deserve that candy bar. I did not pay the owner or the cashier, whoever was at the store. I took it. I'm claiming it as mine. If someone comes up to me and says, hey, can I have your candy bar? I said, no, it's mine. But in in reality, I did not have a transaction that changed from the previous owner to me. I just stole it. I lied. I'm lying. I'm saying that it is mine when it really is not. Or what about if you're in school? Students, if you're in school, another form of the stealing or lying is cheating. I'm struggling on a test. Could be chemistry. Could be algebra. Whatever category you struggle with the most. And you cannot find the answer to save your life. And you just peek over at the person sitting next to you, which you know they're a straight-A student. And you see that they put A down on their paper. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to put down A. How is that stealing? How is that lying? You are claiming that you know that particular question when you don't. You are claiming an answer to someone else's hard work and studying and and knowing the truth, and you claim that you know that when, when you really don't, you're stealing that, you're lying, you're telling your teacher that you know that when you, when you really don't. The second category, so first category is lying that we see in this passage. Second category is putting away sinful or divisive anger. Now, Paul writes that, Paul says this. He says in verse uh, 26, don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Okay, in this, cate- in this category of uh, not sinning uh, in an angry way that is causing division, we're going to jump around a lot, and so I just want you to stay with me as we kind of go through this, because Paul jumps around a lot when he talks about this as well. Because he doesn't just write it here. He also writes later in um, verse 29, no foul language should come from your mouth. And then he also writes later in verse 32, uh, or 31 rather, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, and shouting and slander be removed from you. These are all interconnected of things that we should be putting away that are tied to if we let our anger fester and grow and cause us to sin. But what if we have this anger, but we choose not to sin? Paul says in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Is there a way I can be angry and not sin, and I can still glorify God in it? Because being angry and causing division is something that I need to put away, so something that I need to go towards is how to, anger, how to handle my anger in a God-glorifying way. So how do you do this? So instead of being angry and causing division, 
Verse 29 says this. At the end of it, it says, but say what is good for building up for someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear it. Okay, now how does this connect with not sinning with my anger? Okay, if the foul language is part of that verse that I'm supposed to be putting away when I get angry, track with me here. So when I am angry and I choose not to sin, then instead of talking bad or cursing or being filled with foul language, what do I need to do? I need to build them up. But how do I build them up? By showing them grace and forgiving them for those who wronged you because it's grace to those who hear it. So when you forgive someone, when you are building someone up who has wronged you, when they make you angry, but instead you go and address them right away, the situation that made you angry, and you're calling them out, and you're trying to build them up to be a better person, and in reality, you're showing them grace because you're not taking it out on them. You're, not, you're choosing not to slander. You're choosing not to use foul language back. You're choosing not to be angry and cause division between you and that person, but rather you are choosing to try to reconcile you and that person. You bring it to their attention. And in that way, you give them your grace and forgiveness. The third way that we see how we can be angry, but also still choose to not sin, is the end of 32, where it, it says the same thing we just talked about, and be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. So instead of showing anger, bitterness, wrath, and malice, and slandering, Paul says, instead of that, be kind and compassionate. Show forgiveness. Why? Why do all this? Because in the last verse that we read, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Why do it all? Because we have been shown that same love. When God is rightfully can be angry at us for sinning, for turning away, for cheating, for lying, for any of the sins that we commit, God has the right to be angry, but he chooses to forgive us and love us and to be kind to us and to show us compassion. And because of that, we're compelled to do the same. Because what happens if we don't do the same? There's this verse that's thrown in here that we, we read over that we haven't really talked about yet. In verse 30, it says, And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. We have this verse here that's slammed between these verses talking about how to not be angry and cause division and sin and how not to steal and how not to lie. And then here's this verse that says, And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. I think it's in there to show us you know, when people do wrong us, when people sin against us, and we have an opportunity whether to choose anger and be divisive, or we can be angry but then address it and out of love and forgive and reconcile, when we don't choose this, but rather choose to be divisive and cause division between me and someone else or in an organization or wherever you're at, and you fail to show forgiveness and grace, that is the thing that is grieving God's spirit. Why? Because you as a Christian who claim to receive this fail to show it to others 
and you're living a hypocritical life. And there's nothing more that would grieve God more than to receive all of his blessings and his gifts and then just turn it away and not show any of that to someone else. Because you have tasted, you have seen the gloriness of God, his grace and forgiveness, and you've decided to close that off to someone else. And that grieves God. So this is why, this is a reason why we, we choose to love in our anger, we choose to forgive, we choose to show grace. Paul's not done here in his instruction to the believers. He continues in chapter 5 for the next five verses, and we're going to read this and kind of go over this as well. So if your Bible's with you, go back to chapter 5. It's right after where we stopped reading. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, so in light of everything we just read and talked about, therefore uh, Paul says this to believers, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Now I just want to pause there. Because this sounds a lot like Philippians 2. This aspect of imitating God because of what Jesus did for you. I just want to read Philippians 2, 5 through 11 here quick. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but instead he emptied himself. Assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that continues of why Christ is exalted and every knee shall bow and why we will worship him. So I want you to think of that picture when, when reading Ephesians 5, 1, when it says, imitate God. Walk in love as Christ also loved and gave himself for us. We can easily read over that, but when we see Christ gave himself, I want you to have this picture of the sacrifice, of him humbling himself, coming from heaven down to earth, living a perfect life, and then dying for you and me. Let's continue reading. Verse 3. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard among you as is proper for the saints. Do you realize that you are called saints? If you believe in Jesus Christ and you are saved by the blood, that you are classified as a saint. I had a professor at Moody Bible Institute. He uh, taught a, a history class. And every morning, every time he walked into his class, he would say, Greetings, saints. It was kind of weird. It caught me off guard a little bit because I've never heard someone address me as saint every single day I, I saw him. But isn't it true, though? It says, as proper for saints, you're a saint if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If you confess to have a relationship with Jesus, if you confess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called a saint. And because of that, God calls you to holy living, to imitate him, to be like him. Let's keep reading. Verse 4, 
Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexual, immoral, or impure, or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's our reading today. To kind of digest this a little bit more, I want you to ask this question with this idea of imitating God. Who, are, who is following you? Because if you are called to imitate God as saints, then that means someone who is watching you is going to identify you as someone who is a saint and they are wanting to follow you. To put it a little bit more plainly, there's a song, um, I'm a 90s kid, I, I will identify as one, and I love 90s Christian music for whatever reason. Um, there's this group called Phillips, Craig, and Dean, and in one of their songs, they have this line that says, Lord, I want to be just like you because he wants to be like me. It's this idea that Paul writes um, in, in another section of scripture that says, follow me as I follow after Christ. We have a responsibility as saints, as believers, to imitate God and then to also ask others to say, hey, I want to disciple you. I want you to grow up in, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. So parents, for those parents in the room and online or in the shed, how are you imitating Christ to show your kids and, and tell your kids, hey, follow after me and my example as I follow after Jesus? And then is your prayer, God, help me to be more like you each and every day? Because I know for me, I, I need that personal relationship with you and I want to be more aware of your holiness. I want to grow closer to you. But God, there's also someone who's very near and dear to me that is also following me as I follow you, God. So please help me, grow me, shape me, mold me. Help me to keep continuing putting away my sinfulness and taking on Christ-likeness. Maybe you're not a parent, but maybe you're a spouse. Maybe you are married or you're in a relationship. To be imitators of God is to be called to walk in love with one another, and our spouses and our significant others are one another's. So I ask you, how are, how are you loving in such a way that you're imitating Christ in your marriage? If you asked your spouse today, hey, I want, and I want you to do this when you go home, I want you to ask this one question. Actually, there's two questions. But the first question is this. How do you know that I love you? When you say I love you to someone, to your spouse, to your significant other, ask them, how do you know that I love you? And if they list a bunch of things that you don't do, then you can be almost assured that you're not following hard after Jesus if they only stop there. But if they list things that you do and that you encourage and you grow in, in them and then you're also pulling them to be more Christ-like each and every day, 
be rest assured that, hey, like, I'm loving you well. But even if you are loving well, I, I challenge you to ask a follow-up question. Hey, how can I love you better? What can I do to love you even more? Because I want to be sacrificial. I want to take on this attitude of Jesus Christ, and I want to put myself away, and I want to serve, and I want to love you well, because I want to imitate Christ. So if you're married, if you have a significant other, ask yourself those two questions. Ask them those two questions. How do you know that I love you? And what can I do to love you more? And maybe you're not a spouse. Maybe you're not in a relationship, and maybe you're not a parent, but here, this is something that will categorize us all as living in this present day of pandemic. How are you imitating Christ as you love others well who may disagree with you, who may not agree with your stance on politics or with how you are dealing with this pandemic? Because the flip side of that is if we act out in anger and in a divisive anger and we divide and we slander, we're not loving like Christ called us to love. We're not loving how Paul described um, how to be more Christ-like or how to imitate God. So how are you imitating God to others during this pandemic? Are you slandering others for what their beliefs are, politics? policies, whether or not they wear a mask. That's a big one. How are you loving others well during this pandemic? And maybe you're sitting here and you have no reference of what, what this idea of sacrificial love. You have no reference of what it looks like to imitate God because you haven't started yet. I ask you, I plead with you, I call out to you. Why haven't you started this relationship with Jesus? Why have you not started imitating God in your daily life? Why have you not started following after Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you have no reference for what this passage means and how to love, well, it's because you have not first received the love from God. You've not accepted that free gift that he gave you. And all you have to do is accept it. So what are you waiting for? Why have you not accepted this? And until you accept it, you will never fully understand this passage. And today's a great day to start that. To receive that, to understand it, and to live out this love and how to imitate God and how to walk in love with others well. The worship team would come back up. I'm going to reread this last verse. For know and recognize this, every sexual, moral, or impure, or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, the key word there is who is an idolater? Because those who would say we're saved, so I'm going back to believers right here. For those who say we are saved, doesn't mean that we don't struggle with this, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, or greedy. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we don't struggle with that. So when we do sin, when we're aware of our sinfulness, going back to the chart that we talked about, 
we repent. We realize it, we see it, we turn away from it, and we run after God. It is those who are lost, those who have something else in place of their God, who, who worship an idol, whether it's their comfort, whether it's their academics, whether it is their success, whatever it may be, whatever their idol is running, or whatever their idol is, and they're running to that instead of God, those are the people that God are talking about that will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And so what that means is for believers, because we have that inheritance, because we have the Holy Spirit, when we struggle with this, we have to repent from it. And why do we repent? And why do we seek forgiveness? Is because we understand and we have known the love that God first showed us. And that is something that we are growing in our awareness of God's holiness and God's love for us as we mature and as we grow as a Christian. And so that should cause us to run after that. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to take communion. And when we take communion, I want you to sit before we take it out. I want you to reflect. I want you to dig deep into your heart and ask yourself, believer, what is something that I need to repent for? What is something in my heart that is sinful that I need Jesus to forgive me? Examine yourself. This is something that we're called to do before communion. Examine ourselves. And if there's anything that we find that is grieving God, we need to nip it in the butt right here and, and repent and turn away and strive after godliness. So when we, when we talk about taking communion, just some instructions. This is for believers only. This is something that we do to remember the sacrifice that Christ died for us and that he forgave us from our sins. This is something that we do to acknowledge, one, that we are saved, that we are part of the body, and that we have received the forgiveness from our sins. It's something to cause us to remember the sacrifice and how great it was and how we should just be drawn to more of a deepened relationship with Christ. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you so much for loving us, for dying for us, for being faithful to us, even when we fail you. God, thank you so much for just um, how you treat us and how you give us grace. God, we are truly in awe of your wonder, truly in awe of your beauty, and truly in awe of your love. God, I pray that we would take that, we would be filled with your spirit, and then we would pour that out to others as we choose to love, as we imitate you and show that same love that you've shown us to others. God, I just thank you for this morning, for this time, for your word that you've given us so we can learn more about who you are. God, I pray that we would fall in love with you more and more every day of our lives. God, help us to strive after you in all that we say and all that we do. God, forgive us where we fail you. God, we love you and we serve you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.